Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Scramble through our world-class golf courses or shop your way through the square. Be one with nature as you hike or bike through our parks and trails or hunker down at one of our breweries. And when it's time to eat, be sure to bite into our eclectic food scene. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hey everybody, it's Hallie. And Allison. And we just want to thank you all who attended our live show. We're recording this before the live show, so if nobody showed up, literally no one, well, we're going to have to have a talking to, okay? We're going to have to we'll sit down with you and talk about what happened. <laughs> literally, I literally. dare her. She has to do an entire crow. But we presume it went well. Obviously, you know, let us know if it didn't. Yeah. Uh, Hope you guys had fun. Yeah, where you are in the present and where in the past. And yeah. we are closing out uh, August, uh, our, of course, illustrious Bigotine Sucks Month. I mean, um, truly horrific in every way, shape, and form. God bless them. God bless the teens. If you're if you're a teen, it does get better. It gets worse in other ways, like having yeah. a, like, but mostly in financial play anyway. See what I mean? To me, it's like being an adult. It's like I, I don't cry as much, but I also am like, oh, right, I have to save money yeah. for decades from now when I can't work. Yeah, and, uh, and well, like, we're all going to work till we die, Understand right? our country's complicated tax law. Oh, God. And health, getting your own health insurance. It's, oh, it's all okay, a You know what? It actually gets worse. <laughs> what are we yeah, saying? sorry about that. But um, just to close it out, I wanted to tell one more story about being a teen. Much Jeez. like um, Allison's um, sneaking a guy into her house story, this is when I'm a teen, but I am in college. I just didn't yes. do anything in high school. That's because I don't have a lot of fun stories because I was just like, I don't know. Again, I ju- we just yeah. went to Dunkin' Donuts and like sat around. Same. Um, but I, when I was in college, I went to Notre Dame and I was friends with a lot of, not necessarily the art artsy type, but people who were just a little odd. I think a lot of like very sure. funny, wonderful people who I'm still friends with. And Creatives. a friend of mine, um, Jack, uh, we decided to enter the talent show. And for oh, reasons no. that I cannot recall, we decided to do dance and mouth along to the Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego theme song. <laughs> and I think what it was is like, you know, like you have like a, a, a like a, uh, what is it called? An inside joke that yes. like it's funny to you and your friends. And, but then once yes. you say it out to other people, they're like, it's not that it's not funny. What? It's just like, does it, it's not anything. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they're just like, okay. So we signed up for the talent show. We practiced oh, no. this. Over and over again. I think we had a friend, like, force them to, like, play it on their, like, you know, like, CD player. And then we go to perform. And we, of course, had trench coats and hats. And were oh, they I red? Mean, no. They were just coats that we found at, like, Goodwill. <laughs> we somehow both forget both the the lyrics and the choreography. Oh, <laughs> and it was no. Just, like, moment of, like... People, they weren't mean. No one was jeering, you know what I mean? But just people silently watching us be like, oh, <laughs> girls, what have you done? Like, are, to be looked, like, to be pitied by a teacher, whatever, that's fine, or like an adult, but to be pitied by your peer in a way Hello. that's like, they feel bad for you. Not that, you know what I mean? It's almost like you'd rather they heckled you or bullied you rather yes. than look at you with like a, there by the grace of God, go I. Needless oh. to say, we did not win the talent show. And I believe we Who did. Like, what did? 
like Probably, what like, else a is going on? Vocalist. No, yeah, no, these sure. are people who are like I, I, like I'm an engineer, but actually I'm an opera singer, or like okay. we have a band. Like we're all like very good at something else, and this is just like our way. Yeah, to, like, and you're like I am gonna do a silly dance and lip sync, and I also won't do it well. And I will absolutely be <laughs> I believe we went off, like, ran off the stage and then just ran down the stairs and kept going. <laughs> I mean, that's not honestly the best decision of this entire experience. It's yeah, just so to I actually keep don't going. Know, that's why I don't know who won. It's like we literally ran from the stage <laughs> down the stairs and out the door. And that was the best decision we made. Yes, it really seems like it. Would oh. I do it all over again? No, I wouldn't. I would never do that again. No. And certainly no. not with that song. I, uh, I have one for us today that that my parents still bring up. Oh, okay. So, That's so the classic. Uh, it, it, it haunts me, you know, 25 years later. Uh, so I had, um, a, I was only allowed to get a stick shift car when I was getting a car. I would de- my parents were like, you have to learn how to drive a stick. Okay. I think also they're cheaper. So that mm-hmm. was probably behind it. Um, but my dad's like a car guy and like, he was like, no, like, and my mom also loves driving stick. And she was like, it's just safer. You have to pay more attention. It's more fun, which is correct. Uh, <laughs> so like one night I was out with my friends and it wasn't like a big partying night. It wasn't like I was out at parties, like hopping around. Like it was just like me and a couple of friends were hanging out and I got home a little on the late side, but like, I didn't really have like a set hard set curfew. Did you have a curfew? No, not really. Like. If I yeah. called and was like, I'm going to stay over, I I was like the biggest goody two-shoes. So I feel like eventually my parents are like, she's just sleeping on someone's couch. Like, this is not, they're just watching yeah. movies late, yeah. you know? Yeah, I didn't do a ton of partying as a teen in comparison to what I've done in my 20s, 30s, and, and You really made 40s. up for lost time. I did, yeah. But like, I mean, I had nights out or whatever, but it was just like a lot of hanging out. It wasn't anything like right. too illicit. But I had like gotten home like kind of late. It was probably after midnight or whatever. And I had parked my car um, on the street because my parents car- didn't like me parking behind them in the driveway when they would come in out of the garage. So I like parked it on the street and our sweet- street was on like a slight slant. And I like put it, I thought I put it in first. I thought that I pulled up on my emergency brake oh. and like I walked into the house, like the car's behind me, but like it was still there when I went into the house and I was like, okay. <laughs> so I woke up in the morning and my mom was like banging on my door. She oh, was like, no. what the fuck? And I was like, uh, what's happening? And she was like, where's your car? I was like, outside? What are you talking about? Um, and she was like, a policeman like knocked on our door at like 7 a.m. and was like, do you have a red uh, Integra? My mom was like, my daughter does. Like, what happened? And he was like, it's down the street. And it like crashed into a fire hydrant oh, in front no. of someone else, our neighbor's house. And so like, I came down and I was like, what the, like, I came down, there was a police car where my car had been. And I was like, what's happening? And like, my parents, like, everybody was like, oh, did you like drunk drive and hit something and walk home? And I was like, no. And like, I was like, I didn't, I wasn't even drinking. I got home at midnight. Like, you could see, like, I have, I have some kind of evidence of like logging them to my computer, I think. Like, and then um, the police officer looked, checked at the car and was like, oh, like the uh, emergency brake wasn't pulled. It was in neutral. It was just like, it just kind of like gently so you rolled. Had, you had got out of the car and it was in neutral, is what you're saying. Yes. Or it might have been in first, but there, I, I hadn't pulled the emergency brake, which is the only way to keep a stick shift oh, uh, in okay. place on it on a slant because it will continue to just kind of roll around. Wow, um, this is another reason we don't really use stick shifts anymore, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, they are way more fun, but like a teenager is, and like, it sucks because, like, it's exactly what you would do if you were drinking or, right. like, 
you know, high or whatever, or like at 3 a.m. But like really I'd come home at midnight from like hanging out with my friends and just was being super careless because I'm a careless person um, and like fucked up my car. And my parents were like, this is so terrible. (laughs) You suck. You don't have a car for a month. Like you can't, you can't have this. Well, what's hard about that is I feel like like people just trying to punish teens is like, that was a sincere error. You know, it was an unforced error, but you were a child. So it's like, it's like you're going to punish you for like just... Making a mistake. The nature of the human mind, which is that sometimes it screws up. It's also like a mistake I could easily, if I drove a car today, I could easily make also sober and... By the grace of God, you don't have six shifts of that's how that would hit. Everyone would be slamming into everything. Like, it wouldn't be Like, I think about LA, if it was all six shifts, my God. Oh, God, all the hills. Just every fire hydrant you slammed into. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Harrowing. that, uh, that... To this day, gets brought up when I see my family. So right as a reminder that that one time you did mess up, and it's good to keep those right. in mind. You should never yeah, forget let's the, never forget the mistakes you've made. Yes, they should stick with you forever, even they're, when they're no longer relevant. I no longer have a car. I don't drive a car, and they were. It was just a mistake to begin with. Right. Well, thank you so much, Allison. That Horrific. is what being a teen is. We're like, I'm just dumb and little. I didn't know. Like, I just screwed up. Please, right? You you're know. just. Learning how to do everything for the first time. And, like, of course you make a bunch of mistakes. And then people treat you like you intentionally were fucking things up. Well, that ties in perfectly with our uh, movie this week. Or, I guess, every week of this month. But we are doing a movie that I thought I had seen. But now I realize I don't (gasps) think I had. Which was another movie from, I'll say it, our heyday. Our heyday. Disturbing behavior. Ugh. Yes, it has it is a full '90s vibe. I would say of a yeah. movie. Um, it of course stars uh, James Marsden, uh, Nick Stahl, Katie Holmes. You know, oh. in the in her tour de force, the role of a lifetime. Yes. Um, but before we get started, we of course want to ask Allison um, what she thought of the trailer. And Allison, what are your thoughts having watched it? I again, like I haven't seen this movie, but I remember seeing the trailer mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so I remember there were like moments like when at the very end when like the blonde girl like slams her head into a mirror. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I remember this image like really distinctly being on TV all the time. Um, I mean, it's very Stepford Wives. It's very mm-hmm. like, you know, the vibe of like, be like us, like be one of us. We are all brainwashed like zombies, um, mm-hmm. which is scary. I think that's a very scary vibe. Um, and then, of course, uh, a, a musical classic comes in halfway through, which is Flagpole Sitta. So. Oh, yeah, the needle drops in this movie are so satisfying. They're all yeah. mid to late 90s. Um, Love it. Iconic uh, needle drops. Um, and then we, oh, and we did think- talk about this. We talked about this before uh, when you were watching it, but James Marsden, he looks the same. James Marsden, perhaps, like, whether or not you personally find him attractive, just like... D- on paper, He's not aging. With the with the protractor, the hottest man yes. we have, you know, so hot. I would say, yeah, people forget about him. Like they say, oh, Paul Rudd hasn't aged, and that's true. But he's true. got nothing on James Marsden. Who- no, James Marsden. I think like he started with and maintains the kind of jawline that yes. tells you he's hot. You and know. that's how maybe he's the reverse of Paul Rudd because Paul Rudd looked, has looked young. When in reality, James yes. Marsden has hot, looked like a hot 35-year-old since birth. His whole life. So he does yes. in this, and this is, I mean, you know, again, late 90s. This is what I watched for a movie. Oof. 
I don't want a teen to be played by anyone younger than at the very latest 25. Yes, I, yes, yes. You, you need to be able to rent teen, a car. If there's an yeah. actual teen, they better be playing a middle schooler, which there is. Right. So that's what I want. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Um, but it is, and I think I, I saw this, I think I thought I had seen this, and really I had seen The Faculty, also written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote the screen, oh. also of the same era. High school gets yes. taken over. Something's going on. You know, they have to I had been it thinking out. that this is what that was, too. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That one had, um, we'll do the, we'll do the faculty, obviously. We'll do it. We'll like do it. We'll do it. Josh Hartnett. We have to cover all of, yes. Josh yeah. Hartnett. Wow. Usher. John Stewart is in that one. Yeah. It's, and also 2008. That's why we probably get, we're confused. Okay. They came out at the same time. Well, we'll do it. We'll do it uh, down the road for the pod. Um, and Allison, I want to uh, take a baseline scary before we ruin the movie. And the question I have for you is, how scary do you find the concept of fitting in? Ooh, I mean, extremely. Mm-hmm. It's it's very scary. It's scary to be the outcast, to be different. Like, you just feel like everybody knows something that you don't, which I guess they do, or did, don't know something that you do. Did you try to, like, would you say you tried to fit in as a teenager? I would say I wasn't, like, I didn't not fit in. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, like, clicked with some groups more than others and, like, found, like, found my, like, good friends. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, like, I don't know. I mean, there was, like, some stuff in my high school. Like, everybody in my high school was, like, Christian and um, went to, like, youth group when we were in, like, middle school, I guess, or, like, early high school. And, like, I'm a Jew. Mm-hmm. Um and, like, they would all get, like, regardless, like, even the ones who, like, weren't very religious were like, yeah, we're all going on Sunday. And I would, like, oh, I tried boy. to go once or twice, and I was like, this is not for me. Like, no, it I'm just sure was a social. Are, like, where's the car? Yeah, my mom was like, look, you could try it once, but no more. <laughs> um, so that was always a strange separating factor in my town. Yeah. Well, as someone, I definitely went to youth group all the time. And I think the large part because my friends went there. So I was like, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't got anything to do, so I'll just go. Right. Um, what else are you doing? And I think for me, like, I feel very fortunate. I also, like, found friends and, like, ended up, you know, having yeah. a sort of a niche. But I think for me, part of that was being so socially unaware that I was like, mm-hmm. well, that's just how things are. Like, it wouldn't have occurred to me to, like, oh, I'm going to, like, dress differently and be cool. Like, I yeah. didn't. I was so... I was like, okay, well, this is just everyone's in their little place, and that's just how things are. And yeah. it would have occurred to me to be like, I'm going to get it with the cool kids. Literally, never. Yeah, I would say also, like, my high school didn't feel particularly nasty. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like if you were—I mean, like, I'm sure that I'm saying that as somebody who was not an actual outsider of any kind. And, like, when I think back, I'm sure that there was tons of, uh, like, racist and homophobic right. uh, and based Exclusion on our going on. stories, you might, 30 Rock style, you may have been the bully, Allison. I feel like yes, you wielded yes. a little it's, more social power, you know, in that way. Yes. Yes. But, um, I don't know. I didn't feel like my high school was so, like, this is cool and this is not. It was right. like, there were just groups of people. Yeah, I feel the same way. I remember being, this is in seventh grade, this is middle school, but I remember seeing, like, a very popular girl. In middle school, it was very much like, what are you wearing? You know, like, right. everyone... You can't wear leggings, you have to wear jeans. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this was a bit of the 90s. And I remember this girl, very popular, came in, and she was wearing, like, a turquoise um, Daffy Duck sweater. Like, Daffy Duck was sure. so, like, knit into the sweater. And I was like, oh, that's lame. 
everyone here is late. Like, it was just like, that's yes. not cool. And if that's not cool, then the whole charade falls apart. And, so, and from there, I'm like, okay, well, if she's allowed to wear that sweater to, to school, then none of this really matters at the end of the day. I'm sure at the time I, if I was devastated to, you know, walk, go to school and look like shit, like if I did a tutorial and missed up. But there was something really revelatory to be like, oh, right, this isn't real. This is yeah. made up. Yeah. It's all made up. Yeah. Um, and then, Allison, do you want to, or would you please guess oh, yes. the twist? Guess the twist. Okay. I feel like there's a reason that all of these children are getting, that it's like the town is behind. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the school is behind why they are brainwashing all of these kids Great. for like a very for a reason that's like because it makes them better at a certain thing, like maybe sports. And then I would push you even further and say, how are they doing it? What is the mechanism, oh, or okay. you know, how Great. do you think that they're putting this into motion? I feel like it's some kind of like lobotomy meets electrode vibes. Great. Like definitely, okay. they're like fucking around in the brain. And to your point, this really is like a separate wife. You know what I mean? Like you get the vibe from the from the trailer. Yes. Like this is, and this yeah. is also a very '90s thing. I feel like less so mm-hmm. than now. I mean, God help teens with TikTok and everything. Like I'm sure there are like stoners and freaks and like goths who yeah. are like, please don't make me have to learn to TikTok dance. Like this all sticks. Right. But back then, it was sort of like, it was cool still to be like alternative and like be like the system is screwed up, which it is. So it's like right. those stoners or yes. freaks had a point. And then this oppressive, you know, sort of pop culture, like being cute and having yeah, cute clothes and being, yeah. you know, like playing sports, like that. That did exist, and I right. have no idea what teens feel about it now. But this is sort yeah. of spoofing that thing, which I did think I do think is true, probably still today. Yes. Um. So let us begin with disturbing behavior. So we open on a hot teen couple, Mary Jo and Auntie. And they're making out in a car, and Andy kind of, like, pulls away. And Mary Jo says, what's your deal? And he wipes his mouth where she's been kissing him, and he tells her, I have a big game on Friday. I need my fluids. Mm. And, right, which already off the bat, I'm like, please drive me home. I can't. I can't. I don't know what the fluid Mm -hmm. thing is. And he notices a tattoo on Mary Jo's ankle, and she's sort of like a towny, sort of trashy. That's sort of the dichotomy. It's like these, like, popular, rich, everyone's white, Mm -hmm. of course. Or almost everyone's white, like yeah. kids living in this tiny affluent town, and then like the towny trash who were like grungy and have tattoos and piercings. Yeah. And is this sa- Katie Holmes? No, this is a, a separate okay. woman. Well, we Katie Holmes who also has that vibe. Okay, this is um, just like two teens that may or may not show up later. Exactly. Um, and he sees a tattoo on her ankle, and he said, like, why would you do something like that? It's basically self-mutilation. And Mary Jo replies, in maybe my favorite line of any horror movie or any movie of all time, she tells him, self-mutilate this fluid boy, and then leans in and starts making out with him. Self-mutilate <laughs> this fluid boy. That's fluid the 90s boy. in a nutshell. It's putting a that lot is, of like that That is the movie. most 90s sentence to be in a 2008 film that I could imagine. Right. So eventually, um, Mary Jo unzips his pants and starts just, you know, slobbing on that knob. And unbeknownst <laughs> to them, but it's them, Gavin, played by Nick Stahl, who is a stoner, is uh, stumbled upon them on Lover's Lane with his dog. And he's just smoking weed and watching. And he's like, oh, my God, Andy, like, golden boy from my high school. He's like the quarterback. And suddenly a police cruiser rolls up. 
just as Andy is about to nut in the car, his eyes glow a bright red, and he snaps Mary Jo's neck, (gasps) and he tells her slut before throwing her now-dead body into the passenger seat, just as the cops are showing up. Um, So Officer Cox and his partner, I believe Officer James, they, of course, they're like, Oh, hey, kids, you out here drinking? Oh, my God. They discover Mary Jo's body. And they, you know, obviously take Andy out of the car. They're like, what the hell happened? He grabs Officer Cox's gun out of his holster. Oh, my God. Turns and shoots his partner, Officer James, killing him. Uh-huh. And tells him in a robotic voice, I need my fluids. Okay. The fluid's already a pretty big part of this. Well, he needs his fluids, Alice, and I don't know what to tell you. Instead of doing the right thing and, you know, arresting him, Officer Cox uh, tells Andy to just leave. And Andy throws Mary Jo's body out of the car on top of the other Officer James's body, and he just peels away. And Officer Cox is making a call. We don't know who yet, but obviously he's going to help cover it up. And we see Gavin is able to run away into the darkness. So Gavin has seen all this, has all this information, saw Officer Cox start to cover it up. And now it's going to be like, who's going to believe me about this? Right. Um, but that's old news because the next day, the, a new hunk of teenage man meat is coming to town by the name of Steed, played by James Marsden. And his family is just moving to town. They're coming over on the ferry and they're moving to the beautiful town of Cradle Bay on Crescent Island. And they're, you know, searching for the perfect, white, you know, rich American dream. Mm-hmm. Except Steve sees a rowboat in the water with, like, a big bundle inside. And you're immediately like, oh, was someone trying to make a break for it? Was someone trying to escape the island? Yes. It, there didn't seem to be anyone there. It seems like they weren't successful. Um, Steve is joined by his sister, Lindsay, and parents, Nathan and Cynthia. And they are all reeling from the death of his brother, Alan, by suicide the year before. And this is sort of to be like, this is their fresh start. And horror movies really punish you for trying to make a fresh start. We know this. They really do. They really do. Unless you have to deal with your own trauma. If not, it will follow you to the beautiful Cradle Bay. Um, And, you know, Steve is obviously very shaken by Alan's death, like, they don't specifically spell it out, but it implies he has, like, a struggle with mental health before mm-hmm. he, you know, he died by suicide. And so Steve keeps having these flashbacks of Alan and and all these things. And at one point, Alan tells him in, in his mind, don't worry about spiders in your garden. Don't, don't worry about spiders in your garden when you have snakes in your bed. What does that Ooh. mean? I don't know. I, I don't know. know. Um, so during Steve's first day of school, um, everyone is that he's starting to, he's running into, it's like an absolute wiener, like sweater vests, like so clean mm-hmm. scrubbed. Even the teacher is like the most annoying, like yes. chipper, you know. And then there's one rebellious student who's sort of like a motorhead comes in, Dickie, and he gets into a brawl with this sweater wearing dweeb named Trent. And Dickie is kicked out and he's sort of like this, one of the miscreants in the school is what we're supposed to think. Mm-hmm. And luckily there's some other miscreants that Steve is going to hang out with because so, he gets lunch, he's sitting alone, and he is then joined by Gavin. And Gavin's friend, okay. UV, who is albino. And I, okay. I do feel like the 90s, I feel like in the 90s there were a lot more albinos, but obviously they were played negatively. I'm like, bring the albinos yes. back, but just, just be normal about it. Right, just give them regular roles as the regular people that they are and not, like, always, you know, powder or, like, 
freaks. Exactly. And this movie's going to take out a lot of stuff where it's like, well, I guess if you had handled this in a different, more sensitive way, this would be interesting. Instead, yes. you have made, you know, this is just completely offensive um, for right. modern eyes. But I right. just want to say that UV is played by Chad Donella. And I kept watching him and I was like, what is he from? And I realized mm-hmm. he is like that 90s actor where he's like a stoner with like a Baja shirt and like a skull cap. And he's like, uh-huh. we're just, we're freaks every day of the week, man. And <laughs> I was looking at it. Is, he's in um, Final Destination. Okay. I can't remember. Which one is he? He must be one of the friends. And uh, yes, he plays, he plays Todd. Okay. So okay. he plays the younger brother, uh, Todd, in... Final Destination. But he's exactly that character where you're like, I've seen him in a million things. He was in X-Files, but I could never yeah. have told you this person's name. Apparently, he's on, he was on Blind Spotting and Scandal. Sure. Two shows I haven't seen. Good for him. I'm glad he's still working. But he has to then be like, everything he said is like, everything he says, it's like a, a, a one-liner written by a 45-year-old screenwriter. For a 16-year-old. <laughs> right. It, it, it's just like, listen, I appreciate what we're trying to do. And also, again, it's the 90s. You're allowed to get away. So, like... Yes. I'll, I'll, say, I'll tell you in a bit, but there's this whole scene where, you know, Gavin is explaining, like, all the social cliques in the high school, and they're uh, all in the cafeteria, yes. mean girl style. Yes. And he's giving these, like, soliloquies about, he's like... It's a class system here at CBI, Stevie Boy. Check it out. You know, you got your motorheads, car jocks, all the world's a gasket and a lube job and a pack of luckies. You know, <laughs> drug of choice, beer, Miller Genuine Draft, keggers can't be choosers. And then, like, oh, man. then UV will chime in with a line like, freaks who fix leaks, you know. And it's like, <laughs> and over there you got your micro geeks, nerds, whiz kids, and various other bottoms feeders. Musical choice, the sound of an Apple PC booting up. And then UV says, freaks that go squeak, which is like, okay, all right, you know, like, I'll allow right, it. We're rhyming, we're rhyming. It's so fun, and Nixal is so funny in this. Everyone in this is like, it is played so over the top, but I think in a way it makes sense where it's like, this is what being in high school feels like. Where yes, it's like, it's so dramatic. The stakes are yes. so high. So I really like it, and that scene is, if you just want to Google that, it's not scary, just like, yeah. The um, certain behavior cafeteria scene where they're just talking about the clicks. It's just so funny. And because they're also dead serious, you know. And right. so finally, we get to the final click, which is the blue ribbons, who UV and Gavin call the blue robots. And they're like the perfect, again, I think there's one black guy and maybe one other person of color, but they're all white. They're all like preppy, right. obviously rich. You yes. know, like, they're very 50s. Like, they wear sweaters yes. and they're, like, letterman jackets and, like, you know, like, cheerleader uniforms. They're very classic Americana, you know. Yes. And I was going to say, do you, did your school have, like, very clear cliques? Obviously, this is, like, a parody that, like, now people who watch these movies were like, is that what it was sure. like? And it wasn't exactly. But, like, do you feel like you had cliques I in mean, that way? I mean, there was... Our, our, I mean, like, our school was heavily divided between, like, if you played sports and if you did okay. not. Um, so, like, there was very much, like, you either were an athlete or you weren't. And then within that world, then there was, like, people who, like, the lacrosse people, the soccer people, the, like, right. outside of school sport. Like, I was a rower, which was not a school sport, but was, like, part of, like, well, you're still a jock like us. Um, right. And then there were, like you know, theater and, and little... It was, like, based on what you like to do and then, like, 
there was also, like, some click of, like, people who were, like, just kind of hot. Right. <laughs> that, right, like, didn't really do the, anything. Right, that's usually the most, like, uh, there's, like, a popular group at every school where you're like, I guess they're yeah. just hot. And yeah, they look just good like, and the rest of us look like goblins. Yeah, they just are hot. Um, I guess yeah. that was it. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, it was defined, but it wasn't, like, no one could ever cross over, like, right, could yeah. kind of be in multiple ones at once. Yeah, I feel like mine, it was sort of, I mean, I did theater and stuff, so I feel like, and then obviously I went to youth group all the time, so I feel like my friends, it's like the only social awareness I had that I was like, I, I'm i not cool, but I have friends. Like, I, I know people I can right. call to hang out with. There's a tier right below me where it's the people that, like, the couple people in your class where they're just like do not have friends or like mm-hmm. are sort of like the butt yes. of the joke, which is so yes. devastating. And again, I pray Ugh. to God that people, I mean, like hopefully bullying is less, you know, tolerated. But I, I remember living in fear of like, I can, it doesn't matter if I'm cool. It doesn't matter if I'm like a geek or whatever. But I, I, the idea of like, oh, I'm one of those people who are like a punchline right. or just didn't really have any friends, that was terrifying. Right. Yeah. I could never, like, if I like walked into like a, cafeteria or a, like, assembly, I could always find, like, friends to sit with. But, like, what, like, bummed me out and makes me so sad is always, like, when people don't have that. That's so not fair. And and devastating. Yeah, if you're in high school, you're listening to this, it really really is true. It's going to get better. You're going to get through it. It gets better. And you'll never have to sit at a cafeteria table with people who who are nasty to you, I promise. No, never. Um, uh, Gavin is also in love with one of the Blue Ribbons, Lorna, who's like this beautiful blonde who you saw in the trailer, you know, smashing her head on the uh, right. mirror. And she's joined by Trent, who is the guy that Dickie got into a fight with, we saw in class earlier. Robbie and Andy. Andy being the guy who we've just seen kill two people. He's in school. He's acting right. totally normal. Yeah. and That wouldn't face him. Exactly. And... Uh, UV says of the blue ribbons, freaks so chic. It was like, all right, UV, you know, you got to get your one-liners in. You got to. You need them. Um, so that night at dinner, Lindsay, C's younger sister, has a school friend over Shannon. and they're studying for like their spelling bee or something. And because they're in middle school and their brother Alan came up and their dad like immediately yells at them and shuts down the conversation and Steve asked Shannon, do you get yelled at when you talk about your gr- dead grandfather? Because around here, people go crazy if we talk about Alan. And she, he storms out. Obviously, mm-hmm. the dad, b- both the parents are, like, repressing all of this emotion. Mm-hmm. And, again, another thing we know from horror is if you don't deal with your problems, they will manifest in some yes. other horrific way. Yes. You cannot stuff everything down. It will come back up. That night, Dickie, the motorhead who got into a fight with Trent in school, he's sort of lured to the docks, and he thinks he's buying a motorcycle, uh, Mustang parts for his car, only to be jumped by the Blue Ribbons who beat the hell out of him with hockey sticks, including Andy. So I think we're getting, like, the Blue Ribbons are, like, hyper-violent. Yes. Like, they may seem, like, have great grades, be great on the football team, but they are... They have a streak of incredible violence uh, within them. The next day, Steve goes to the principal's office, and he's set up at an appointment. Like, oh, we do this. All the, our new students, you're going to meet with our school psychologist, Edgar uh, Caldecott, and he's going to give you an assessment. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Caldecott is merely like, you should join the Blue Ribbons. It's really like a motivational workshop. We have, like, seminars, and it's really to maximize your potential, you know, get your grades up and help you move past the tragedy. 
you know, so everyone okay. in the administration knows uh, about Al, his brother's death. And Steve, of course, is merely like, I don't want to do this. No, thank you. I just got here. You know, I just want to, like, smoke weed right. and hang out, you know. And as soon as uh, Steve leaves this meeting, he sees Rachel, played by Katie Holmes, for the first time, and is immediately in love yes. with her. Because she's also, I mean, she's stunning. Who wouldn't be? I mean, she is so hot. And also, like, her in, like, a grungy, like, yeah. vibe is, like, it's like we see through it. You're Katie Holmes. Like, exactly. You but can't, she still like, looks great. Trash her up. Yeah, she yeah. looks amazing. And um, Gavin is friends with Rachel, who he calls Cook's Ridge Trash. So she's like t- towny trash, like he is. Towny trash. And he's also the hottest girl. Like if you, she went to your high school. It's like okay, well, she's the most popular girl because she's hotter yeah, than because she's anyone. the hottest one. Yes. And uh, she and Gavin have like a very teasing, like they're constantly razzing her. And and Gavin immediately is like, oh, Steve, I know you like Rachel. And he's absolutely right. So it's kind of like this fun high school, like, you're like, yeah, I yeah. can tell what's going on here. Teasing. And so they, Gavin asks, like, oh, we should just take Steve out in the town, you know, and hang out to, like, welcome him to town. And it, or and Rachel says yes, or she puts it in the film Sounds Razor, another <laughs> um, slang term they're trying to make happen, which is really fun. Oh, love that. So, of course, by the cut to, which is very funny, where it's like they're hanging out the parking lot of the liquor store, and Gavin keeps trying to get like people to buy the beer, and no one will. So, it's like, yeah, they're hanging mm-hmm. out, but they're just like sitting in the parking lot, just, you know, doing nothing, waiting for an old man to, to buy them beer. Um, and as they're, they're there, Rachel is approached by Chug, who's one of the blue ribbon guys, who's sort of like the, you know, sort of goofball, like, mm-hmm. Not, I don't. I'm assuming he's an athlete, but you know he's not like he's no Trent. You know what I mean? He's sort of right, like the, right. the 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 hanger on, the henchman, the, the muscle. And he invites her to the yogurt shop to get yogurt, and Rachel turns him down. And Gavin just teases her mercil- mercilessly about it. Inside the, they're also in front of like a grocery store because they're like in a parking lot. Chug, mm. we see Chug buying something. And he's staring at Rachel, and we see like as he's like looking at her like his sexual desire is activating the same red eye violence that Andy exhibited oh, when he was hooking no. up with Mary Jo and some stoners are buying a bunch of snacks and they bump into him and they apologize and he just starts kicking their asses what? he's basically throwing them off the ground he basically rips one of the guys nose off and Jesus throws him Christ. into the meat case and also this is like 8 p.m., so the place is full. So everyone gathers around, and then Officer Cox shows up and intervenes. And ju- at the end of it, Chug kind of snaps out and asks, like, where'd my shake go? He had a shake for the yogurt right. shop. So Chug has no memory of what he's just done. Okay. And, right, so we're going to find out. This isn't, it is their fault. It's not really their fault, you know. Right, they're not choosing to behave that way. Yeah, so Gavin, Rachel, and Steve, they're driving around later. And Rachel said, my th- I've seen this before. Like, my theory is that it's road roid rage because they're all athletes. Like, I think that they're all, like, on steroids. And It's a valid theory. Yeah, like, all the Blue Ribbon people are like that. Rumor has it that Andy bit the head off a kitten in a fit of rage. Okay. Which is the exact kind of shit. But, like, you heard that in high school. Like, okay, well, they didn't happen. You know, he didn't bite right, a Right, but I would definitely also still tell that story to people. Oh, I, I would tell everyone I ever met. Everyone I've ever met. Um, and so the next day, Gavin takes Steve down to the boiler room, because I guess that's, like, where they go to smoke. Like, you get caught if you go outside. So you go down right. the boiler room, and he has, like, a, um, smokes and, like, some stuff hidden down there. And he tells Steve about Andy killing Mary Jo. And he's like, I know that he must have done it. 
you know, everyone's like, oh, she ran away. But he, you know, they went out that night and he's friends with Mary Jo too. And I know that like Officer Cox, like he covers up everything. Like all these blue ribbon people are always doing crazy stuff and he just covers it up. Just then, as they're smoking in the boiler room, Mr. Newberry, the janitor, pushes up a manhole cover and emerges from the bowels of the school holding okay. a dead rat and starts yelling at them not to smoke in the basement. And so Gavin even refers to Mr. Newberry as like of a mice, of a mice and men flowers for Algernon type, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's the janitor. Again, much in the kid of a gas station attendant, the janitor is always like the weird guy. Yes. Like he's the weird, yes. pitiable character. Right. And Even if they're like harmless and helpful or if they're in on the thing, like right. they're always just like this weirdo is involved in this way as opposed yeah. to just being a regular character who acts like a normal person. <laughs> and so Mr. Newberry is sort of like playing that up in a certain sense but he also mm-hmm. like I think he's a very strange person and all the kids are like oh I'm not even going to say the word but they keep calling him the R word yeah. and yeah. they're like oh there's something wrong with him you know and I think Mr. Newberry were to believe is like kind of just resigned to it and his passion is trying to get rid of all the rats because they're right near the water so there's constantly rats coming into the school oh, God. And he's like, all oh, the rats come out of the bay. I, I, you know, like he's screaming. He's like invented all these like um, different like contraptions to try to catch them. And he's working on like a sonic device that's supposed to like drive the rats away. But then he turns it on and the rats don't mind it whatsoever. And he's like, God damn it. And he reminds me of, do you remember um, a Christmas story? Like the, you know, like you'll shoot your eye out. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and the dad is like constantly fighting with the boiler. Like Mr. Newberry's constantly yes. screaming about the rats. He's like, yes. this has taken over his life, unfortunately. After school, they see that Dickie, who last we saw was getting his ass beat by the Blue Ribbons, has now joined the Blue Ribbons. And he's now wearing okay. a sweater, and he is taking a sledgehammer and smashing his beautiful car outside of school with everyone cheering. So That he feels is, unnecessary. <laughs> again, I well, all these teachers are complicit. If you let a, yeah. a student destroy a car with a sledgehammer in the parking lot of your school, that's that's that on is you. on you. That's a that bad educational. Uh, that's bad rules. You're not a good steward of of the youth. You yeah. you have failed. And everyone's of course like, what the fuck? That guy would like. He loves that car. Why would you do that? Steve, however, does not believe Gavin's tale of murder, and he's like, all right, well, I'll see you guys later. He just doesn't. He's like. I just moved right. here. I can't believe this. Like, this is too much, you know. And and that evening, he stops by the yogurt shop, which also, it looks like a soda shop. You know, has like the wraparound yeah. bar. So cute. Yes. The like um, waiters and stuff have those little paper hats. And he's cornered by Trent and the new, the newly dweebified Dickie and the rest of the Blue Ribbon Gang. And they're immediately like trying to befriend him and be like, you should hang out with us. But they're so like dead-eyed and out of right. place that Steve's put on edge, you know. And yeah. Gavin comes in ostensibly for yogurt and Steve ends up leaving These with kids Gavin. kids and their yogurt. Uh, yeah. And Steve leaves. I guess maybe that was in the 90s. He sort of like they did frozen yogurt versus ice cream. Like, yeah, oh, it's cool. Yeah, TCBY. Um, and as he's leaving, Trent tells Steve, you don't have to leave, brother. And Steve replies, I'm not your brother. So Steve is actively choosing to hang out with Gavin now. He's saying, I'm okay. turning my back on the blue ribbons. I'm going to hang out with this donor. Yes. Gavin tells him, you know, his theory, which is basically like every student in the blue ribbons is hypnotized or lobotomized. And he knows that because Robbie, the one black kid in this, in this group, 
Randy, one of the girls, and Trent used to be cool stoners, and they were friends with Gavin. And then, like, over the course of time, they all sort of, like, became these, like, brainwashed, like, preppy zombies. Mm -hmm. Which, again, Steve's like, well, how, you know, like, maybe they just were, like, got tired of you or, like, it's high school. Like, they just, like, changed their mind on what they wanted to do. And Gavin says, no, we have to go sneak into the school and listen to the Blue Ribbon Parents Weekly Meeting. So apparently all the parents go, and they get, like, updates on, like, the program or whatever. So they sneak in, okay. of course, listen to the air duct, the only place in a harbor we to listen yes. from. Yes, of course. And Andy's mom gets up, and he, she says, um, so, like, we really love Andrew's new grades, but he has become um, different <laughs> since returning from the weekends <laughs> and lightning sen- seminar. And Dr. Caldecott's like, ah, yes, you know, sometimes Blue Room kids, like, they act really snobby at first. You know, um, but really what they're getting is pride. And eventually they'll calm down. It's just they get so excited that they, um, you know, sometimes they behave a little weird or, you know, they kind of um, treat okay. everyone outside the group cruelly and only care about the group, which it, to me would not, that would be not enough to, you know, comfort me. And they bring up the next candidate who they want to bring into the group. They're like, we've talked to his parents. We've gotten consent from them. And they read off a page of him, and it's like C-minus student, but with A-plus a capabilities, expelled for, from four schools, masturbates constantly. And then they bring in the <laughs> candidate's parents. Allison, it's Gavin's parents. Yeah, obviously. So, yeah. yeah, of course. So they beat a hasty retreat to the beach, and Gavin is freaking out. And Steve's like, who's care? Just say you'll do it, and then just like whatever, like— don't you don't have to try? Just who, we have to go to some meetings or something, like just right. whatever, blow it off. And Kevin's like, no, you don't understand. Like this is this is brainwashing. Like they're going to do something to me because I that's what they did to everyone else. And Steve says, well, right. why don't you just like come stay at my house tonight? And Kevin says, no, I have a plan. And he pulls a gun out of his pocket. Oh, he's basically okay. like, I have to kill everyone involved in this, even my parents. And Steve, being a good friend, <sighs> in reality manages to wrestle the gun out of his hands and he takes it home with him so that Gavin doesn't have it. Because also he's just been through this thing with his brother. You know what I mean? He's just like, oh, great. So now there's this other guy who's like having a mental health crisis. And Gavin, as he walks away, Gavin is begging for his gun back and then finally for Steve to come back. But Steve just walks and goes home. At Mm. this point, Allison, what would you do? What would you do? I think if I'm Steve, I'm, like, bringing the gun to my parents and being, like, my friend had this. There's something going on. Like, we should, like, I don't know if this is the right place for us. Like, maybe we should, like, I want you guys to, like, consult with, like, like, get some authorities involved. Like, be like, there's, somebody has to know what's going on. Right. And I would be very aware of that. And also, I would, like, stop going to school. (laughs) 100%. 100%. <laughs> and what if you were Gavin? What would you do? I would run away. Yeah, me too. I would definitely not go home. No, I would pa- I'd grab some stuff or yeah. not. Or just like run to like another friend, my friend group and be like, right, I need Rachel's to like house. park it here with you guys for yeah, a while. Yeah, go to UV's house. I agree. Right. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace. Yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. 
On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Well, unfortunately, the next day at school, Allison, Gavin shows up completely clean cut. You know, he's got a sweater vest on. He's got a big smile on his face, and he sits with the blue ribbons. And Rachel's, of course, like, what the fuck is this? Like, what happened? I just want to apply myself. I think I'll get better results on this side of the calf. Why don't you beat it, honey? This is rarefied turf. Sluts may not apply. But The use of the word slut in the 90s is really... yeah. A problem. But, but Gavin tells her, like, I just want to apply myself. That's all. Like, they made a really good pitch, and I was really convinced. And they're right. I have a lot of aptitude. I should be, you know, utilizing all of my skills. Rachel, of course, okay. is like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Um, Steve tries to talk to Gavin. This is all in the cafeteria. Only for a brawl to break out between the Blue Ribbons and the Stoners. A poor UV gets pulled into it. And it only stops when Gavin breaks it up. They basically are kicking Steve in the ribs, and Gavin breaks up the fight. And Gavin tells him, I'm, "You don't have to worry about me. I'm fantastic." And then he knees Steve in the stomach. Oh no! Meanwhile, Mister Newberry is standing there doing nothing, mouth agape, yeah. even as Chug knocks over his mop bucket and calls him, of course, the R word. And right. it seems like even he is like been beaten down by like either you can't fight City Hall. You can't do anything right. about the it's Blue like, Ribbons. This is what's happening here. There is no, like, alternative, and we're just going to let it play out. Exactly. And later, at some point later, Steve sees the Gavin cozying up to the Blue Ribbons at the yogurt shop, you know, just seeming to really enjoy his new life. So yeah. Steve goes to hang out at the boiler room where Mr. Newberry, you know, tells him, like, go eat in the cafeteria. And he's like, I hate the cafeteria. And Mr. Newberry <laughs> says, everybody hates the cafeteria. Um, But Steve finds Mr. Newberry's copy of Slaughterhouse-Five, and he's like, oh, like, I didn't know, you know, like, do you read or, like, you know, whatever. I didn't know you could read. You're a janitor. Basically, that's the idea is, like, if you are mentally disabled, the idea that you would be interested in anything or have, like, an internal life or read or consume books is simply so shocking in the 90s. Yes, yes. But, like... You know, like, so you, and, and Mr. Newberry snatches it back. It's like, you're all rats from the Bay. All you kids are just rats. And Steve, they basically have this exchange that I don't know exactly how to take it. But Steve's basically like, are you just pretending to be this person? Like, are you actually just a normal person? It's right. just like, you're sort of just resigned to your fate, you know? And Mr. Newberry asks him, like, do you like Kurt Vonnegut? And he's like, yeah, you know, like, should I read it or whatever? And Newberry says to him, it's interesting how people act when they think you're really stupid. So I think it's sort of like he in his life has just like sort of decided to be this outsider, this like character, because it allows him to see this side of humanity that gives him this like powerful insight. But also I imagine it would be a real bummer. Also, he does have to fight rats all the time. That rat stuff is true, you know? Yeah, that feels like not my ideal out you know yes. it's like it's like there's got to be another way like, Much like to a gas not get wrapped. there's got to be something else out there for mr newberry you can do more but just i think, think like mr newberry decided like if people think i'm strange then fuck it i'm just gonna be strange and people will treat me like i'm strange like that's fine right 
Unfortunately, on his way home after school, Steve is chased through the woods by the Blue Ribbons, who are, like, descending on him and and taunting him. And when he arrives in his home after dark, Lorna, the hot Blue Ribbons girl, is waiting for him because apparently she's hired as Lindsay's tutor. And um, he tells her to leave, like, get out of my house, you know. And... She goes to, like, I'm just going to use the bathroom first. And she's washing her hands in the sink and watching him in the mirror. And unfortunately for Steve, he looks like James Marsden. So as Lorna's watching her hand, she sees his reflection and her horny robot violence side activates. <laughs> she walks out of the bathroom with her shirt open. And Steve's like, what are you doing? And she tells him, I'm not sure. Which I thought was, like, a very <laughs> honest answer. <laughs> That's all of teen sexuality, is just trying something you've seen and be like, is it this? Yeah, I think it's this. And she grabs him and starts, like, kissing him. And he pushes her away. And she's like, do you don't think I'm attracted to him? He's like, no, I do. This is just, like, very weird, you know? Yeah, And correct. she grabs her head. And, she, like, like, clearly in pain. She's like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. It's bad. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's bad. And then she slams her head into a mirror. So there's blood oh, now streaming yeah. down her face. And she attacks him with a shard of the mirror, saying bad, wrong, wrong, bad. And he's able oh to God. wrestle her to the ground and get the shard out of her hand. And then, like Chug, she snaps out of it. So, like, her shirt's undone. She's bleeding out of her head, you know, just trying to kill Steve. But she, like, picks up her book. She's like, I have a big physics test tomorrow. And then just runs out of the house. The next thing we see is Lorna's bloody eye. And we see that she is strapped to an operating table. And we hear a female voice say, After extracting the implant, I tested its integrity to the optic nerve, and it was intact. However, it turns out the implant is impacting the pineal gland. And every time the recipient is aroused, it causes their dopamine to spike. And then we pull back and we see that Dr. Caldecott, he takes off his operating mask. He says, Of course. So every time one of these kids gets a heart on, they go out and beat somebody with it. So oh, I guess I think that's unfortunately where we're at is I've I've figured out a way to put an implant in a child's brain to make them perfect. However, if they're ever aroused, which from ever being a teen does yeah, happen. Yeah, you're constantly aroused. They become homicidal towards the object of their affection. Seems like cool. a huge flaw in the product. Huge. I would say uh, a net negative. Um. Uh, the next day at school, Rachel goes into the basement and finds a CD hidden for her by Gavin. And unfortunately, Chug also follows her down. And Mr. Newberry's down there, but kind of like stays in the shadow to watch what happens. And Chug asks Rachel out again, and she laughs, and she's like, are you kidding me? And he slams her against some sort of, you know, big tank like you have in a boiler room. And yeah, he of grabs course. It's all her, tanks. grabs her boobs and starts like screaming at her. And essentially is going to is sexually assaulting her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. suddenly Chug starts screaming. He grabs his uh, his head, and we hear this whining noise, and we realize that he is reacting to Mr. Newberry's sonic rat repellent device that we saw him tinkering with. Okay. okay. And Chug grabs it. He throws it to the ground, and as soon as it's broken, he sort of like comes to, and he's like twitches out of the room. And Mr. Newberry looks at, watches, and says, "Wow." Great line. Again, phenomenal yeah. line. Brilliant. Brilliant writing. Um, after school, Lindsay tells, they're like arriving home after school, and Lindsay tells Steve, like, just try to fit in. And, and you know, like, we just got here. You don't have to be weird and only hang out with weirdos. And he notices that she's wearing a blue ribbon bracelet because they were handing them out at school. And just then a mm-hmm. group of blue ribbon guys drive by the house and, like, wave at Lindsay and kind of force her back into the house. And that's enough for Steve to be like, okay, we have to figure this out. 
So he goes to Rachel's house, and she shows him the contents of the CD that Gavin had hid in the basement for her to find. Mm. And he explains that he overheard a meeting in Caldecott's office, and someone was talking to him about the Bishop Flats 11, referring to them as Caldecott's children, before Caldecott freaked out and kicked the guy out of his office. Okay. And he's like, I don't know what that means, but I need you guys to figure it out. And in the video, Gavin says, also, I, can you watch out for UV, even though I don't think that they would want him because he's, you know, albino. It's like, okay, all okay. right. We don't like, need to be so mean albino people. Right. And so uh, Rachel was able to access the AMA database. I'm hoping through her local library. <laughs> and I mean, I, I assume if research is happening in one of these movies, it's through a local library at night even though those were never open at night. Well, so this is the next morning. So this is during the day. Oh, okay. But then I'm like, did okay. she go during school? Maybe she got at the school library. Can you access yeah. the AMA database to find out where, other, where people used to work? I don't know. I um, don't know. But she's able to find out that Dr. Caldecott worked across the bay in Bishop Flats at a place called the Belknap Psych- Psychiatric Facility. And oh, he spent no. seven years doing neuro- neuropharmacology. And Steve hears it and nods and says, mind control. <laughs> and Steve says, so are you ready to go? And Rachel says, Razor. Again, trying to make Razor happen. Just, yeah, it's sorry. It's just, you're, it's not going to happen. Um, on the ferry over, they bond over like Gavin, who Rachel says is like a brother to her. And Steve is finally able to talk about Alan for God's sake. And he's like, Alan was always in pain and he ended up shooting himself. And my dad, like his solution was, we're going to move to Cradle Bay and everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be all right. Like he's running, instead of dealing with it, they ran here basically. Okay. So they get to Belknap, and they were able to sneak in, even though it was a now by now it's nighttime, and to a right. psychiatric facility. So how they're able to get in? Yeah. And all of the patients they find are like the most offensive parody of a mentally ill person. Oh no! Like just yeah. a guy flossing and screaming, and he's flossing so much his gums are bleeding, and he's like, "I don't okay. know if my teeth are clean." Like people screaming, like everyone's screaming, falling yeah. down, like leaping out of things, you know. And right. that they can't happen. It's, like, it's just there's a lot of more downtime. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's and, a lot of being quiet. And so they kind of are sneaking around. They find a woman. Um, in a sort of a room by herself, and she's talking about the musical little creatures hiding among the flowers. And as she's sort of singing and chanting, and all the patients are flipping out and start banging on the the glass doors, sort of signaling, oh, there's somebody in here. So in order to silence this poor mentally ill woman, Katie helps Rachel punches her right in the face and knocks her Jesus out. <laughs> and so Rachel's like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Like there somebody's gonna come in here. But he turns the woman's, who Rachel's just punched out, she turns her hospital bracelet over, and it is Betty Caldecott. It is Caldecott's daughter. Little convenience. So, Allison, now I must ask you, who will survive? Who will survive? Who we got left. I think uh, James Marsden and Katie Holmes will make it to the end. Great. And how we feel about UV as you making it through? Oof. Um... No, I think we need another casualty of the of the main group before we reach the end of this story. And then do you think, even though Gavin has been tur- turned... <clears throat> I think Gavin will, they will deprogram. Okay, great. That's my hope and pitch. And then what about Mr. Newberry, the janitor? How what do you feel about him? I, I think, if anything, we're going to see him save the day uh, and great. survive. Fabulous. 
Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Okay, so suddenly they're all they're running to flagpole Sitta, of course, to escape the psychiatric facility. Obviously. And Rachel rightly says, Okay, well, if he would do that to his own daughter, then we're all fucked. Like then he has no mm-hmm. boundaries whatsoever. He will That's turn all every assess- student assessment. in our high school. So mm-hmm. they stop at, of course, a gas station. And unfortunately, Officer Cox pulls in right after them. And the gas station attendant, Freddie Frankie, comes out and he's like, How's it going, Officer Cox? And Officer Cox says, uh, I think it's time to close. Frankie says, you got it, Officer Cox. So he goes inside and he just closes down the gas station. Again, much like the um, gas station attendant in Children of the Corn. Yes. Listen, I live in a crazy, weird science cult, you know, experiment yeah. town. I'm, right. So I, when they tell me to do stuff, I just I do, do it. it. I mean, I can't believe we got a janitor and a gas station attendant in one film. I'm not sure we've ever had that. It's more than we deserve. It's abundant. It really is. is. It really is. And uh, just when you're afraid Officer Cox is going to wail on Steve and Rachel, um, this film savior shows up, Mr. Newberry, and he's driving a bunch of rats down to the dump. Because I guess the office, Mm -hmm. the town council pays him a quarter of a rat to act as like an exterminator. And Officer Cox is like, what an R word. And But just as he turns his back, Mr. Newberry takes out the rat, like the sonic device, out of his car Mm -hmm. and bashes in his head. So it has many different uses, which is nice. Wow. It's a, a real Swiss Army knife of of murder. <sighs> and I guess we're just saying, like, Mr. Newberry doesn't give a shit anymore. This is his breakout moment. Yes. He he knows yes. that something is wrong in this town, and he's like, I'm going to step up, and I'm going to do the right thing. Yes. And Steve and yes. um, Rachel are able to escape, and Steve goes home. He's like, I'm taking Lindsay, and we're going back to Chicago. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think if I can tell my parents, but, like, if this happened to all these students, eventually it'll be happening to Lindsay. Right. And his parents stop him. And they tell him, like, we're here for you. And he's like, is that true? Because if so, we have to leave right now. And suddenly, Dr. Caldecott steps out of the shadows in the house and informs <gasps> Steve, we all want what's, we all want what's best no. for you, Stephen. Stephen's programs have, no. Stephen's parents have signed him up for the program. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. Like, we just want our Steve back. We just want you to ask nor- act normal. Obviously driven by their fears about Alan. You know, they just want him to, like, get good grades and act polite and, like, you know. Yes. By any means necessary. Yes. And Dr. Caldecott starts in with, Steve, do you even like how you feel right now? And Steve whips around with my favorite part of the movie. goes, oh, shut the fuck up. Like, it's not even a one-liner. It's just like, shut the fuck up. I'm not doing this. And I love that. I love that. I can hear him yell that. Yes. Like, I can hear moment. James Marsden's voice say that. So Steve um, punches Dr. Caldecott in the stomach. A lot of, like, random punching in this movie and runs outside, unfortunately. <laughs> When they get outside, the blue ribbon, blue ribbons are waiting for them. 
Obviously. And they just beat the hell out of Steve. And there's some great lines, like, uh, Gavin says, may I have this dance, Stephen? And at one point, he just says, for no reason, ice, ice, baby. <laughs> Stephen, when he comes, with Steve, when he comes to, he is being dragged by the Blue Ribbons into an operating room. And they're telling Whoa. him, like, these, like, meaningless 90s, like, inspirational quotes, yes. which I thought was really fun, like, be the ball, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're just robots, you know? Like, they're just reciting right. things. That they're are just, just reciting things that were on, like, posters in offices. Exactly. It's all those, Hang like, in there. Yeah. inspirational, motivational posters. You know what I'm talking about. I do, yes. With the hanging cat. Yeah. Um... So Dr. Caldecott arrives to do the surgery. He says, adolescence is a minefield, and I'm going to help you walk right through it. And Steve, in response to reciting those lines that we saw Betty Caldecott saying in mm-hmm. the institution about the, the musical little creatures that hide among the flowers, and Dr. Caldecott tells him, that's a battle I didn't win. But besides, she wasn't that smart to begin with. So he kind of sees his daughter as a failed experiment, okay. yes. but he kind of throws it off. And just as they have Steve strapped down and they're beaming images into his mind, sort of um, Clockwork Orange style, of yes, like yes. this perfect white middle-class American life, we see the implant right. lowering into his eyeball. He is able to grab a scalpel and then he is just slashing and dashing his way out of there. Oh, wow. He's able to so get out of the chair. So is he not strapped in? He is strapped in, but he had, was able to grab a scalpel and cut through his restraints. So they're like I a fabric. See. Okay. And then, of course, he assaults the attending physician. Like, there's a couple people who are like, are you part of the school? Like, why are you taking part of this, you know? Right. Or are you just, like, moonlighting as a a teen uh, lobotomizer because your nurse practitioner job isn't really, like, paying well enough? I mean, what's happening? Probably. I guess the money's good. They must must all be teachers. (laughs) I mean, that makes makes the most sense. (laughs) Financially, uh, it makes the most sense. They, uh, so he's able to get out of the OR, and he grabs Rachel, who is also in the next room over, and she's been drugged, so she's barely conscious. And they manage to get up the stairs only to find Chug. And he's, I can't, I didn't write, okay. write down the exact line, but he's like, are you going somewhere with my custard, Steve? Like, the most disgusting shit. What? Ugh. And uh, Chug proceeds to Steve, kick Steve's ass, but when he's distracted, Rachel bashes in Chug's head with a metal pipe. And I think we're going to think he's supposed to be dead because, like, blood is absolutely spilling out of his skull. Right. Yeah, that feels right. So they get to the parking lot. Thank God UV has arrived, our hero. Oh. And he has picked up Lindsay because he happened to be outside and seeing this melee go on outside of Steve's house. Yes. Picks up Lindsay, and he's like, the first ferry leaves in 20 minutes. So we get the early bird ferry out of the, here. Unfortunately... Yes. They drive down the ferry, and the road is blocked by all the blue ribbons in their cars and Dr. Caldecott. No. And they, no. the teens stop their car and tell Dr. Caldecott tells them, it's time, to leave medoc- medi- it's time to leave mediocrity behind. It's time to step up on the bus. Suddenly, another car starts barreling down the road up to their barricade, and Dr. Caldecott starts firing a gun at the car, but it will not stop. It is Mr. Okay. Newberry. Obviously. And he absolutely just slams into Dr. Caldecott and fly, he flies yes. off the road. I love that. Mr. Newberry has constructed a giant version of his sonic rat device. And he, I guess, in a very 90s way, throws it into reverse. So now instead of being repelled by it, the blue ribbons like scream and chase after his car towards okay. the sound. It's sort of yes. a Pied Piper leading the rats, yes. you know, into yes. the water type of thing. Yes. 
And so Steve says, take, you know, to UV, please take Rachel and Lindsay, get on the ferry. There's something I have to do. Steve then leaps onto a motocross bike, again, a very 90s cool Where thing. on earth did that come from? <laughs> I guess where they, one of the Blue Ribbons brought it there. It didn't seem very yeah. Blue Ribbon-y. And no, he then just doesn't. like rides the woods and has all these like cool like tricks and stuff. It's <laughs> awesome. And he catches up with Mr. <gasps> Newberry who stops like right at the edge of a cliff over which um, there's sort of the bay begins. So it's like a cliff above the ocean. Sure. And um, he stops him and he's like, Mr. Newberry, like don't, you know, maybe they can be helped. You don't have to do this. And Mr. Newberry says, they can't be helped and neither can I. And we see he has like a huge wound, bullet wound in his side. He, so he's not long for this world. So then Mr. Newberry waits for all the blue ribbons to descend on his parked car, then throws it into gear, and he drives the car over the cliff while he says, hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. And sacrifices himself <laughs> for wow. the betterment of society. And everybody thought he was an idiot. Yeah. And he, in reality, out. is the smartest one there. He was the idiot we needed in a time of crisis. Yeah. And unfortunately, Dr. Kellicott is still alive, even though he was just hit by a car. And he has to pontificate some more and has, I guess, gotten to the same place they're at. And he's like, Science is God. Until finally Steve tells him, be the ball, and then kicks Dr. Caldecott over the side of the cliff and kills him. Amazing. But the movie's not over, Allison. The one-liners have been just spot-on, perfect. Incredible. Perfect. Really great. Flawless. So Steve drives his motocross bike to the ferry dock and leaps out of the ferry, because, you know, it just pulled away. And he makes his sure. way to Rachel, and she says, where do we go? And Steve tells her, we go home. And she says, where is that? And Steve says, wherever we are. And you have a great moment. But then, unfortunately, you have this final scene of, it's like an inner city school, mostly black students, you know, playing music, like not paying attention to the student. And, and the principal comes in and is like, we have a brand new sub, uh, student teacher here that you're going to listen to. He's got all these great new techniques. He's really going to help you learn. And then he turns, and it is Gavin. Still clean <gasps> cut. So Gavin has survived. And in case you're on the fence, ostensibly, whether or not he's going to carry on Caldegas' legacy, mm. when he turns from the board writing his name on it, there's like a red flash in one of his eyes. So Gavin mm. is alive. Gavin is still roboticized. And he is going to now bring this uh, technology to a, um, a, a sensibly an underserved community and absolutely just take advantage of those families there. Yeah. It's very haunting. That's very haunting. That's perhaps that's the, the scariest image and possible ending for this film. That is the end of Disturbing Behavior. Allison, what are wow. some fatal mistakes people made in this movie? Fatal mistakes. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. When stuff starts getting fucked up, you need to tell people about it. Mm -hmm. Like, Tell your parents that brought you to this new town that something's wrong with the town. Don't just, like, talk to your friends about it. Like, you need to engage people outside of your teen group. I would not be surprised if there is a version of this movie, whether it was shot or whether it was just in the script, where he does tell his parents, and they're like, oh, oh my God, you're just like Alan. You're, you know, you're... You're seeing all these yeah, problems. You know, I think that they, maybe they just felt like they didn't need to, but like, this is the kind of stuff that had he told his parents, I think his parents would have not believed him. Yeah, I have a hard time imagining like, even just in reality of telling my parents if this was happening, they'd be like, oh, you don't want to try hard at school? Just go to school. What are you talking about? Right, exactly. Um, like, oh, is it so wrong to have friends and go to the yogurt shop and... Right. 
you know. Right. Be good at a sport and cut your hair. Um, but yeah. I think Gavin not running away and going home was yeah. a pretty big one. Huge mistake. So. And, um, and then yeah. once things got going, it was tough to, you know, it's tough to stop. Right. Everyone did. Other than that, I thought everyone did a good job. Like everyone. Yeah. Most people got out of there. Gavin. Yeah. I guess maybe he just felt like it was, it was inescapable at a certain yeah. point. Just like to go with it. Now, the question I wanted to ask you is, um, as you said, like anyone who gets like turned on or attracted to someone goes into this homicidal rage. So you think all of these kids would be freaking out all the time? That's the yeah, only thing where I'm like, sh- wouldn't every day they go into this homicidal rage? If it's just like I'm, you see someone you're attracted to and like it's that level of, arous- of arousal, that is what makes people freak out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it's like when you're finally in a one-on-one situation is what it feels like and not just like walking by like... Well, Chug, he was at the grocery store. That's so, true. Like, yeah, That's he, true. He had just spoken to her one-on-one, but, like, he was in a public place. It was yeah, very Yeah, it weird. should have been happening, like, way more. Constantly, yeah. But then I guess that would have, like, given up the... The game. The conceit of the program. <laughs> it would have been like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> right, it should have been if you're actually having sex or, like, once you've actually yes. kissed or something. Then right, right, like, physical. Okay. Once it gets physical, then you're like, okay. But, like, just being turned on is absolutely not <laughs> unavoidable uh, like a once a week thing for teens right it's it's also anybody. like a biological like i don't know what you're gonna do i mean right um, you can't stop them it's just hormones so then my question for you would be in my this segment is who would have caused you to go into violent rage who did you have a crush on whether this is a celebrity or a person in your school who would you have seen and then f- sure flown into a violent um horny rage allison well, I was, even though I didn't watch the show, I Great. was very attracted to, and to this day, still very much am, arguably more than I was as a teen, to Ooh. Joshua Jackson. Yes, gorgeous. Like, I mean, and I, so like, I I never, I, I didn't watch Dawson's Creek until years after um, it was on television, and I would watch it like in the mornings on like weekdays when I was like living at home after college and was like, oh, this is what the show was. But mm-hmm. he was in the page. I was, like, obsessed with magazines. And, oh, like, I'm a huge magazine person. Yeah. YM, 17. Like, I just, like, I, w- I wish I could go back to that era. But I had yeah. so many magazines. And so, like, inside of my closet, I had, like, a blank wall. And I would just, like, tape up pictures of cute boys. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like, outfits I liked. But it was, like, mostly cute boys. <laughs> um, yeah, I also— And there th- were that several— was a, a very 90s thing of taping up— like, things you cut out of magazines. Oh, I miss that. I would say deep into college, I just, like, transitioned from it being, like, uh, boys that were on uh, WB shows to, like, fashion ads I really liked and, like, covered my college walls with, like, artsy Givenchy ads. And it's like, okay, that's just capitalism. Um, Yeah. um, But because I had all of those photos of him and, like, a handful of others who's, like, I think James Marsden was arguably in the mix. Absolutely. Um, I guess every time I opened my closet, I would have become a murderous nightmare. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, be, but I guess you could just keep it to your to keep it to yourself. Um, yeah, I guess if you put right, exactly. There was nobody. In I was always like alone in my house anyway. So <laughs> right, perfect. You just destroy your. You just rip everything off the walls. Every just time. rip everything apart. That's uh, you know that's in my view. Um, what about yours? Mine would be the lead singer of Rammstein, which I would have been obsessed okay. with in the late nineties. Till Lindemann. And sure. um, I listen to a lot of, you know, like, corn, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of, like, metal 
sort of industrial mm-hmm. metal at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely think, but really the whole Rammstein as a band entire, which yes. uh, you'd think wouldn't be so much of an issue, but they were very popular for, like, I was still like 2009. They uh, were. Or, I'm sorry, um, 1999, 2000. They were everywhere. Yeah. So I would have been You were seeing that video every time you turned on MTV. Because the song, I want to say it was in the Matrix. And yeah. uh, so, again, it was it was all, I mean, do Haas. Forget about it. I, I want to watch yeah. it right now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely think, yes, it was in the, it was in the Matrix. And so I think yeah. that was that same year. And um, speaking yeah. of which, Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. Oof. I mean, I mean Keanu, Keanu Reeves, Reeves now, too. Today. I mean, Aged that's like really... a fine wine. But again, and he it's really very popular. Has. I loved Speed. I loved him in Speed. Oh, um, so handsome. Watch the VHS of Speed all the time. So, yeah, I think oh, yeah. definitely Keanu Reeves... Would any any glimpse of him would during the, which was kind of unavoidable during the nineties, yeah, would yeah. have thrown me into an insane, murderous, Just an rage. out of control rage. <laughs> and then finally, Allison, where would you place disturbing behavior on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. I do think that like the robotic "Join us, we are good" is a scary thing. When you make it teens, it's like a, like this movie is more fun than scary. I'm going to say this is like a four and a half. Great. Um, what about yeah. you? I'm going to give this a four because okay. I think, yes, the, sort of over the top, the one-liners and stuff always yes. sort of knocks things down for me. I love them, but they're not scary. Right. But I will say there is something very scary. Like Nick Stahl did a great job with this mm-hmm. where like you— do feel so bad for him because he does know something. And when he has the gun, it felt like very, it's like believable <sighs> distress. You yeah. know what I mean? That and, is upsetting to watch. Yeah. What is he up to? Oh, he's in Carnival. I need to watch that. Oh. Um, well, Nick Stahl, you're great in this movie. So yeah, I'm going to say a four um, points lowering the scariness due to the incredible one-liners. But but it, I did find that unnerving and very sad. So I feel mm-hmm. like it did kind of get me a little bit. Yeah, that is that is pretty upsetting. But we really enjoyed this. Hope you enjoyed it too. Um, thank you for joining us. And, um, you know, if you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast. Yes, we appreciate please. it. And it affects the algorithm in some positive way, or so we've been told. And also, if you have movie requests, questions, complaints, actually compliments, not complaints. Yeah, 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 that's the word. Uh, we don't want complaints. I hope there aren't any. Um, you know, movies you want us to do, things we've missed, like out, you know, outstanding questions. Like, please email us at ruined at theradiopoint.com. And please. You have to. Until said time. You must. Keep, keep it spooky. spooky. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Visit a live archaeological dig site on the very grounds where America began. Or walk the fields where our country was won. Live like a colonial by day or track 18th century ghosts by night. For all the history to be found here, there's plenty more to make for yourself. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace.